Community development is actually a very, very important element in everybody's lives. Hence, even in the business, you know, it has to be skewed towards community development. Welcome to Vista by the Singapore Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia. I'm Jeff Hutton. Murray Samuel's time in Indonesia dates back to 1983, when the insurance broker was spending a week, a month here. But as foreign investors fled amid the chaos of the Asian financial crisis in the late 1990s, Murray doubled down. He set up his own business to make sure his colleagues had jobs and that they could weather the spiraling inflation and the political uncertainty of the time. Murray is a Rotarian and a follower of the Baha'i faith. He set up his business to give back to the country that, he says, has afforded him a high quality of life. Murray owes his success, he says, to deep local knowledge. One example, he could probably warn potential factory owners where they can best avoid floods, a big disruptor of business here. And he's nurtured long-lasting relationships. The average age of his client relationship is 16 years. The key word is trust, he told Shoab Kagda, the chairman of the Singapore Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia, who handles this week's interview. Murray went on to say that delivering on promises and being consistent were his guiding principles in a country where short-term thinking and opportunism is all too common. In other words, making your way in Indonesia's fast market takes time, but diligent pursuit of opportunities with an eye on improving human welfare is not only a road to success, it's a recipe for making your own corner of the world a better place. Here's Marie Samuel, Vishob Kagda, chairman of Singcham. Welcome, Marie. We have today Marie Samuel, a very dear and old friend, and also a very committed member of the Singapore Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia. Marie, welcome to the podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you here. So let's start. You know, how and why did you come to Indonesia? For a start, I wish to thank the SCI for actually giving me this opportunity to have a podcast. And thank you, Shoaib, for agreeing to actually interview me. It's my pleasure. And why? Why did I come to Indonesia? My God, that's a difficult question. But uh, it has an answer that I'm very, very proud to share with you guys. It's because I came to pay back over the years uh, that I had earned a lot of income whilst I was in Singapore uh, doing this business, um, Indonesia was my main market. I established myself here in 2002 uh, only because during the um, crisis, I recognized that there were a lot of people that needed my help. Uh, and it was time to pay back. Really, really, I felt compelled to pay back to the community uh, because uh, from 1983 onwards, um, I used to spend a week, a month in Indonesia. 
And hence, that's the reason, the main, main, main reason why I grew my business in Indonesia. And uh, it became so good that um, I decided that it was time to actually pay back when the crisis came and Indonesia was in trouble. So I came here to establish a company and give jobs. That's very admirable, uh, Moray. And I think Indonesia has been good for you, yeah? Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm so happy to be here because the quality of life here is also very, very good. In many ways, I think for outsiders who do not have an understanding or an experience of Indonesia, Indonesia can seem confusing, can seem uncertain, can seem to be, in fact, even mind-boggling. But as you set up your business here over the past 22 years, how have you succeeded? What would you say to people who are looking in from the outside? When I first started, I actually had a different partner than I have the partners at the moment. And unfortunately, one of the brothers passed away. And the whole family just walked in and took the business away and took all the money in the company. Uh, so there was one nasty experience I had from a very, very prominent family. So I was a bit shocked. And I realized that I had to actually do it on my own. I needed to find the people that I could trust. And fortunately, because I had come into to Indonesia since 1983, I did have many, many friends. So hence, um, I actually went to my friends, people that I could trust, and began a process rather than try and look for partners that I thought could give me more business. So that was uh, basically my uh, route to success. First and foremost, they needed me. I was the one that was bringing the business. So actually, my first thought of having a strong partner in Indonesia was actually not correct. It was a fallacy. So I... Because uh, when I first, when I eventually uh, did my own thing, uh, everything worked and fell into place and I had complete control. So I think that's very important in terms of having control and having a say in your business, uh, finding the right partners. But before we carry on, you're an insurance broker and you know, I think you are in a very interesting industry. Also, in terms of being really within the heart of the growth of the economy, because everybody needs insurance, right? So, when you set up RPA here in Indonesia, maybe tell us a little bit about what exactly do you do and how do you help companies? An insurance broker is somebody that acts on behalf of his client. Small companies don't really need a broker, but the big and medium-sized companies actually do. The reason being that generally insurance is quite a complex uh, subject because it's based on the law of contract. So everything that is in the contract is promised to you by the insurer that if certain things happen, they would pay on the contract. Hence, it is important to negotiate the terms and conditions of the contract. And every business but, and because I specialize in the oil and gas industry, it is really a very hazardous kind of business. Premiums are high and the risks are high and the claims that I handle are also high. 
So they are not, they are not really, uh, the day run and, you know, it, it runs run the millions. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It requires specialist markets. It requires specialist knowledge, uh, in order to actually do this business. If you are going to specialize, I would say that the route really is to specialize. I was just fortunate that I was able to specialize, but there are many brokers who are, you know, just run in the mill, run of the mill. Uh, insurance brokers that are unable to specialize. But from the beginning, I started with specialization of the oil and gas industry. However, however, after the oil and gas industry began to sort of uh, run down a little bit. So the business is affected. However, it's, I, I'm just venturing into new areas of business today. Because the oil and gas industry is actually down, although it's just picking up, but all new entries or new entrants into the market are very, very limited. That's right. I think the oil and gas industry kind of is consolidated and really there's not much growth. But there are many other sectors within the economy that are actually growing, uh, You know, whether it's in commodities, whether it's in the digital space, whether it's in market uh, manufacturing, you know. And there are many companies from Singapore, especially looking to establish businesses and operations in Indonesia. Should you be one of the persons they should be talking to early in their considerations when they come to Indonesia? Yes, yeah, particularly because sometimes when they want to rent premises, they actually need to know what zoning is actually flood-free. So, that, for example, is something that we know. We have information to that kind of situation for clients, yeah? Especially if they're setting up factories in Indonesia. Where to avoid, where not to avoid, uh, what sort of rates they're going to pay, uh, why is the risk higher for flooding in particular. That's actually the major risk in Indonesia. Yes, fire is, in, is, is major, but flooding really causes a lot of issues in this country. Right, so flooding would probably be the highest risk for any, especially manufacturing sector or even property, right? Read the larger claims occur because of fire. But the flooding risk causes business interruption. So in other words, if you're not able to go into your factory, Right. And you cannot transport your goods out and you can't manufacture. Then your business interruption losses can be quite substantial in Indonesia. And if it keeps recurring all the time, you're not able to actually have a consistent flow of your business. So sometimes people are forced to move because of that. So the business interruption part of the business. Although many companies in <laughs> Indonesia really don't even think about business interruption, they don't. They are only thinking about what the bank wants. You know, if the bank says, oh, you've got to have this, that, the other, then that's all they will do. But they will not insure for business interruption. I think that's a very salient point for many companies. You know, it's something that they probably don't think about. So they never consider it as part of the business process or part of their setup cost or even a setup, I wouldn't call it cost, but probably setup procedures, yeah, or things that they should check off in terms of setting up here. You're absolutely right, sir. 
it seems as though um, insurance is the last priority. After everything has been established, then they go and look around for insurance. Actually, they should be involved in the beginning. You know, because when you talk about business interruption, you're not talking about just last year or this year. You are talking about sometimes three years in advance. I mean, I remember a flood in the city where a hotel was affected. And because all the generators was on the ground floor, and this was in uh, Kuningan, and I think you may know which hotel I'm talking about. It took three and a half years before they could get back to running because they had to remodel everything and they had to rebuild, demolish and rebuild. Mm. So that is the kind of risk that you're talking about. You know, when you talk about floods in Indonesia, it can really be catastrophic. But still, fire is still the biggest hazard in the insurance market. I remember that hotel very well. In fact, I had a friend who was staying in that hotel when it flooded. And she had to be evacuated in a laundry bag. They just couldn't get it. <laughs> so those are some of the war stories about doing business in Indonesia. But uh, let me take you back to one of your earlier comments about giving back to Indonesia. And I know you are a, a person of a very big heart. And you know you are involved in the Rotary Club. You're involved in many other activities. You're also a, a senior leader in the Baha'i community. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing on that side. Okay, basically, uh, as far as the Baha'i community is concerned, I mean, it's an international faith. Uh, when Gusdur actually opened that faith to Indonesia, they allowed, he was the one that allowed the faith to progress in Indonesia because this faith in Indonesia had come in the 1800s in Indonesia. And then when Suharto came in, he decided, you know, there were only five, you know, and that was it. So anything outside, even Rotary at that time was banned. In the same, it's actually in the same document that the, the Freemasons, Rotarians, Baha'is, and all these people were banned. So on the Rotary front, I've been a Rotarian since 1991. And I've been a Rotarian in three countries, in Macau, in Singapore, and I started the club in Indonesia. Or rather, I was one of the founder members of the Indonesian chapter of the Rotary Club of Jakarta Central. So on the social front, there's a lot to be done compared to Macau and compared to Singapore. So I actually became a real Rotarian only here in Indonesia because the needs were there. You know, in Singapore, we would do Christmas parties and that was a big thing. Whereas here, you feed the hungry. You actually do stuff, you know, when you have an earthquake, remedial relief. We built 160 vessels for the Aceh tsunami. So when you, you have to do things like that, then the, the, the level of satisfaction it's really very, very high when it comes to social work. You feel that you're doing something for the country. I remember, yeah, the Aceh tsunami. And of course, since then, there have been many other natural disasters. And I think Rotary has always been one of the first organizations to put up their hands and say, let's get something done. 
And I think Indonesia, even without the uh, natural disasters and catastrophes, still needs a lot of, I guess, caring rather than assistance. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just such a big country with so much different needs and uh, impoverished groups. How do you deal with that? We actually work with other yayasans that actually do things in different places. There is Tupa Pandai. There's this guy, Robert Spohr, who actually ran from Jakarta to Bali. Eh? He did 36 marathons in 18 days. So he did two marathons a day, basically, but it was, you know, very slow. And he did it in order to supply water to the people in Sumba. Now, I thought that was really, really very, very outstanding. And so we do this. We work with people that have special experiences. Because to go in blind, the process takes a long, long time. But if you work with existing yayasans that actually are on the ground and are actually doing things and have a name for themselves, then you have a better chance of doing uh, good work. And, you know, like... For example, the club that I work with, we are working with HIV and AIDS programs, and we have two clinics, Bali and in Jakarta. And we actually do, uh, the word to use is not independent, but anonymous testing. Anonymous because we don't want people or they don't want to be known. So we don't reveal the names of those people, and they can come for treatment as well. So it's an anonymous testing center for HIV and AIDS patients, yeah? And that also entails children because, you know, sometimes these AIDS patients, when they pass away, they have children. So their grandparents take care of the children. So there is a need to make sure that the children are not stunted, no? They get food, they get... uh uh, milk, they get, and, and people have, it's actually a whole package. People actually have to go there and to make sure that these children are properly fed. And then the other one is the infant mortality rate and the transmission rate. That means if a mother is HIV positive, other ch- is child HIV positive. So that clinic also has tests that decide and determine whether or not transmission has occurred. So they test mothers who are positive and make sure if they're pregnant that the child is not positive. So they give them medicine to make sure that the child is free. Right. I think what comes to mind when you when you describe some of the things that you do is that um, maybe compared to other countries, especially more developed countries, being a Rotarian here, you really roll up your sleeves and get involved and really do the work rather than just raise money. Correct. That's absolutely correct. And you get excited. You know, your, your, your spirit is lifted because you feel that you're doing something. Yeah, you're, you're making a meaningful contribution to, to society, to your community, to your, you know, people that may not be close to you, but who are part of Indonesia. Absolutely, sir. And it, it also fits in with the core values of the Baha'i community where we are trying to, you know, the world has changed so much. And, you know, mankind has reached its age of maturity. So right now, as a child, when humanity were like children, 
it was completely different. Nobody was educated. But today, everybody's educated. So everybody wants a voice. They need to hear themselves express their views. There are a lot of changes that are taking place that need the, how shall I put it, that everybody needs to actually contribute towards the development and growth of the community. In other words, you you cannot not be involved in community development. Community development is actually a very, very important element in everybody's lives. Hence, even in the business, you know, it has to be skewed towards community development because there are, there are difficult times, there are changing times. And if the community is not involved and if they don't know what's going on, they are going to be lost. And there is an important role that leaders like us should play in actually guiding the community towards higher and higher goals that they, sh- they need to achieve. Right. I think living in Indonesia, working in Indonesia, one of the things that always comes on the top list for anybody who wants to live here is build relationships, right? Whether it's in business, whether it's in personal life. I know for a fact that you are an avid golfer. Maybe you play more golf than you work. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, very, very true. (laughs) Yeah. And through golf, I think you've also built relationships. But tell us a little bit about... How important do you think that part of living here is? Oh, I mean, the entire society, Asian society, uh, entire Asian society, including Singapore and every other place, is absolutely based on relationship. The key word is trust. So if I look at my portfolio, the average age of the companies that I have average uh, is 16 years. So that's how long they've been with me. They don't move because they trust. So that element of trust is very, very important. But trust can only be built if the relationship is good, if you deliver on the promises that are being made, and most importantly, you're consistent. So that is a very, very important key element, uh, reliability. You have to be reliable and you have to be trustworthy. And trustworthiness in this country is can be a difficult commodity to come across because that people tend to be very short-term here. You know? If you can make a profit and run, that's what they will do. Whereas to find somebody who will stay and stick with you through thick and thin and through all the difficult times, it's not easy. So hence... I think I have or I have been able to try and inspire as many of the younger generation because I deal with the older generation and then when it passes on to the younger generation. So I'm glad they sort of respect me and they call me uncle and stuff like that. But the business-wise huh, is still there. And these are not small companies. Huh? These are huge <laughs> uh, chemical uh, tank farms, uh, that have been around for 60 years. So, and they are, they are the bigger players in the industry yeah, in, in Indonesia. So I do have some bread and butter accounts. I call them bread and butter because they, they put the food on the table. <laughs> Irrespective of what happens, everything else is really, uh, what's the word to use? Icing on the cake. Icing on the cake. Fantastic. That's, that's the right term to use. Yeah. 
Right. Well, I think it's um, Murray. Thank you so much. It's been a fascinating conversation with you. Just to kind of round up and uh, end it on a personal note, what would be your advice to people who are looking to come into Indonesia? You know, Indonesia is today like the you know the most attractive bride. You know, everybody wants to come here. But as we've known, you know, working and setting up in Indonesia is not easy. The streets are not paved with gold. You know, in terms of just one or two pieces of advice that you would give to these young people because they're hungry, they're, you know, they're energetic, but they're also very impatient. What would be the advice that you would give them if they were looking to set up business here? Okay, I can, I can speak for the service industry, which is what I am in here, yeah? and the insurance industry. I think there needs to be more expertise because I'm Singaporean. I would encourage every Singaporean broker, I think there are about 40 brokers in Indonesia, in Singapore, to have branches in this market. They cannot ignore this market. If they ignore this market compared to Singapore, I'm, my God, it's so minuscule. No? But the moment you come here, um, first and foremost, there is an, a value added to the market. You make, you make this market more exciting. You train the local people. You raise the level of competence and expertise and knowledge. Unfortunately, the insurance companies are still a little bit backward. Unfortunately, yeah? because yeah, I, I've served in several countries and I know the levels that they have. And this country needs to catch up. Uh, it's, it's, it, it doesn't have the expertise that are needed to run good, solid insurance companies. Unlike Singapore, where the, you know, they, they are, they are really very, very professional. Hence, this has to be developed. So it would be good for more and more people to actually increase the profile of the insurance industry as a whole by coming to Indonesia and setting up shop here. I won't talk about the challenges and because I'm not sure how, uh, I mean, I came in because I prepared the groundwork. For me, I did not have to look for new business. <laughs> the business was there because I started in 1983, spending a week, a month in Indonesia. So I had a lot of contacts. But for somebody who's coming in here and who wants to do that, it takes a bit of time. You need a break. I got a break. I got somebody who opened the door for me. I was so fortunate. The oil and gas industry was actually, a door was opened for me from Singapore. Somebody says, oh, I'm going to do a deal with Patamina and we're going to buy three rigs and we're going to do this and establish this company. And guess what? That company is still with me. The business is still with me since 1983. So just imagine. It's, it's, like that. So you need the breaks. However, times have changed. Now, everything is digital. So it is okay to actually establish shop here, come up with new concepts and try, try and break into the market. But you cannot ignore this market. You know, 250 million people, my God. So many 17,000 islands. It's, it's mind-boggling. So we can't have that small country concept, you know, 
we really need to expand from Singapore to come into Indonesia. We should be the leaders in coming in because we have everything. Well said, Murray. I think on that note, it's been an honor and a privilege to have you on our podcast. And thank you again for your support and for being a champion of business in Indonesia. Thank you, Shoaib, for actually conducting this interview. Thank you, sir. And that's Vista. Thanks to Murray Samuel for joining. For the Singapore Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia, I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.